This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach. And for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. We're recording now, are we? It's casual time. It's festive. <laughs> We're just getting straight into it. So, like, so started a new job three or four months ago, right? And I don't need to name drop it to promo it, but it has a catchphrase, right? And every law firm, as I think I've said to you before, is like, service, accountability, <laughs> excellence. It's Blogsy, the law firm. And you're like, yeah, fucking congratulations, right? <laughs> and... I don't, and I feel like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid at my work because um, we've got a tagline that's like, we're with you. And initially I'm like, yeah, fucking congratulations. Like you're with the people who are paying you money to be with them. Like it's a client service industry, like well done. So what you're saying is you do business for your clients. Well done. And just the more time I've been there, and I don't know if it's just the honeymoon period, and I don't know if this means it's the greatest piece of copywriting of all time. Literally the other day, I was like, now what would the where with you approach to this problem be? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I don't know who to attribute it to, Shag, or whether it's just uh, because sleep is something that for you and I is in our distant past and hopefully marginally closer future but shag i'm with you today how are you look i'm just glad we're both back together on the same zoom call (laughs) doing an episode together that's that's all i have to say about that um peach but uh, it is festive Mm. times it's time for our christmas episode this is the second christmas episode we've done although i feel like last year we were recording in such a way that I just, it was hard to keep track of things. So our Christmas episode just came and went like a normal episode, which is often the case because often Christmas episodes are just the episode that is scheduled around Christmas time. And sometimes people don't yeah, prepare yeah. for it. But I like the fact that this time we were able to prepare for it. So today's episode. Finally. I've done heaps of prep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so today's episode, I wanted to pick a christmas horror movie now there's a lot of horror movies set around christmas but there are none that have made it into the christmas movie canon so i can't really think of anything that you'd go oh have you watched die hard have you watched love actually have you watched home alone i can't think of a horror movie that sits alongside those sort of you know towers of the christmas movie genre even though so many people have tried Today's movie, and this is one of those episodes where it's like, why, why, why have they tried? Is there, it, like, do you get to like first flag on the moon it to be like, we are the Christmas horror film? Like, is there money to be made there or cultural cachet to be like, no one's really quite cracked it. We're going to be the ones to make Christmas horrible. So there's a thing that happens in my industry, and it luckily it's happening less and less. 
where everyone was like, we just want to be the first of something. So a big part of advertising, marketing, sort of, you know, corporate creativity, whatever you want to call it, is entering into awards. And you enter case studies into (laughs) awards. And for a long time, every case study was, this is the first time a brand's ever used influencers and AI. In the Southern Hemisphere, the cell retail retail sector. Now, now the problem with that is it sounds great in a case study, but most often than not, it doesn't translate to any real sales or, you know, commercial benefit purely because it usually takes an idea, a few iterations to sink in with the general public. And Mm. so I kind of like the blizzard approach so now i'm jumping over to video games but there's there's a the video game creator blizzard you know who made the warcraft series the starcraft series you know world of warcraft overwatch like a real you know a giant i keep using the word tower my god Um, a real real giant of video games and they've always Mm. had this idea that it's done when it's done what does that mean That, that that we won't be held to arbitrary deadlines we are just going to make the best thing we can. Yeah, exactly. And what happens then is more often than not, they're not the first people out. They don't have the first thing. You know, the World of Warcraft wasn't the first MMORPG, whatever you call it. Overwatch wasn't the first, like, hero. Well, maybe it was the first (laughs) hero-based class shooter. But, like, you know, Warcraft wasn't the first real-time strategy game. All of those things... Mm. They just hone things until they get it right. Apple does the same thing. Like Apple and like the iPhone wasn't, well, the iPhone was actually, no, the (laughs) iPhone wasn't the first, but it was the best. You know, generally they're they're second to market with all of their best features, but they've had time to sink in with the general population. And so Shag, does that mean we've now seen the first wave of Christmas horror films (laughs) and any, and any, and it may even be Christmas this year or Christmas soon that we're going to see the iPhone of Christmas movies the starcraft of christmas movies yeah where i'm where i'm trying to get to with this is that lots of people have tried but that doesn't mean no one's created the love actually of christmas horror movies yet it's it's waiting to be created and enough people have sort of you know sown the ground left it fertile enough Mm. for an amazing, potentially Spooko Productions-created Christmas horror movie to sprout and, you know, fill everyone's cultural consciousness. Because that's the thing, right? The Christmas movie is such a lucrative market that anybody, like all the streaming services now, create garbage, bullshit Christmas movies because you literally do not have to worry about quality at all for people to watch it but for it to enter you know the 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 canon it does have to be like vaguely good but people will watch a shit christmas movie called like the night before christmas and it's a night from the dark ages who comes back to modern times and woos someone who's sick of contemporary day yeah like those movies like the teen the teen sex romp movie or like the night before x x x mess or like whatever and it's like yeah well done awesome exactly exactly. just on the spooko studios doing a christmas movie i've been trying to internally brainstorm of the easiest way to come up with horror movie ideas and it took me back to Roland Barthes' famous 1968 essay, as as I often reflect mm. on, about the death of the author. So, like, the, the author is dead. And so we can then pick through our favourite Twilight Zone episodes <laughs> or just go through every single, you know, horror short story ever written and be like, yeah, we're just doing that. 
we're doing that 2000 and so i was thinking maybe if we're low on ideas for spooko studios we just we should just go find ones to steal well then elsewhere. i guess There's no copyright I, in an idea let's do it i i think that's pretty lucky as and also when does like actual copyright run out because it doesn't last forever Good. right Good question. Um, under the current legislation in Australia, it's 70 years. Okay. But because copyright varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, and even in Australia, it depends on when the work was created. So it could have been 50 years for some works. So a lot of stuff's public domain. So you suddenly, all of a sudden, get all the works of blah just whoosh and come across. And it's why you can do um, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, like because that's out of copyright. Just be like, no, oh, I'm fucking doing it. And that's why Shakespeare, you can be like, well, <laughs> there's no one I'm going to pay to do this. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we can just go steal some old stories. What was it, Edgar Allan Poe? Should we just do them? Well, With an Aussie twist. <laughs> here's, here's what's actually super lucky about this is, you know how the older you get, it seems like, the eras that you grew up in always are like, oh, that was like 10 years ago, but they're actually long ago. Uh, the 80s, when today's film was set, was actually like 70 years ago now. Like, it's the 80s was so long ago. It's like another planet. <laughs> you, like, remember payphones? You know, these payphones and films, and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> imagine explaining to your child, imagine explaining to Golden Child what a payphone is. Golden Child is going to be so confused when yeah, they see like you, images you, of our what? past. Although, to be fair, like when Golden Child grows up, they'll be able to like just go into like some sort of like VR time machine. And they'll be like, oh, this is exactly, I now have lived exactly how you lived. And your experience means nothing because now <laughs> yeah, I've experienced exactly. your experience and my experience. I've digested yours and it's, and it's mm. over. And it's, it's now irrelevant to what we're doing. They will supersede us in every way. Uh, including Christmas movies. We brought it full circle, Christmas horror movies, I should No, say. but you made such a good point at the start, right? So it's like, why mm. haven't people done it? Well, to be fair, they've actually been doing it for a very, very long time. They've been doing it for a very long time. Now, we are continuing recording, but if I start swearing slightly less than any keen-eared spooko listener may be able to speculate on why the swearing has gone from medium level to a low level uh, and there might be a golden child so things are going well normal spooko style but we might do a few less swear words what do you think golden child yeah okay a few fewer swear words so halloween 1978 mm. huge hit and you know for marketing was amazing it's it, any time marketing can latch onto something that's part of people's everyday lives, mm. it becomes easier. Because, you know, one of the big adages of marketing is like, you can't change people's behavior. So it's better to, you know, work with their behavior. So if you have a movie that's part of Halloween, oh my God, how good is that, right? So because of that, after Halloween, they tried so many things. So, you know, and, and a lot of them work. So there's like prom night, there was like a honeymoon one. There's Friday the 13th, obviously, was a huge one. So many films. And, of course, they tried lots of Christmas ones. In fact, there was a Christmas movie called Black Christmas in 1974, which was also a slasher, which in many ways sort of was a, like a slight influence on the Halloween series. But even then, like, none of these films take hold. There was even a film, you know, in the same year of this one came out. So it wasn't the only Christmas horror film, but... This is probably the most notorious Christmas horror film 
based on the circumstances around how it was released, which I think is super interesting. So today, Peach, yes. for our Christmas episode of Spooko, yes. we are doing the 1984 slasher cult classic Silent Night, Deadly Night. Don't watch this trailer, Golden Child. <laughs> the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse the stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that Saint Nicholas soon would be there Christmas, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I love how the trailer proves you right. They're like, you've seen Halloween. Now we're doing the same thing, but it's Christmas. (laughs) Now here is where the controversy and the cultness of this film starts. So you've just seen the trailer Mm. that was screened in the 80s on television. Now, we've talked about this before, but the 80s was like the Wild West. You could do whatever. You could say whatever you want. Mm. You could do whatever you want to other people. Like, the laws were basically like, fuck people. Like, just go nuts, right? Mm. So, the same goes for TV. So, as far as I know, you could just screen an ad like this anytime and it'd be like, well, well, that's... It. Here you go. Here's an ad. It's, it's all for you, right? Mm. Even though, like, they, they obviously did have ratings, but they started screening this trailer on Saturday afternoons between, like, football games and all sorts of things. Mm. And the response was immediate. All of a sudden, all of these TV stations, radio stations, had all of these phone calls from people being like, what, what is the this? fuck? I was just watching TV with, like, my three-year-old who's just seen Santa, like, gun someone down. What the fuck were you thinking, right? Ironically, like, golden children were in the room when I watched that trailer, so I can empathise with, <laughs> with this backlash. Like, can you, so can you imagine just sitting down in the 80s mm. with your kids, mm. watching TV, because it's literally the only form of home entertainment. Yep. So everybody is glued, like, wow, what is this? Yep. And everybody's watching every... So now nobody watches commercials now. That's Back right. in the day, everyone you watched actually commercials. used to watch them, didn't you? Totally. And if a trailer came on, I was like, sick, what is this movie? Because here's the other small part of joy in my awful 80s life that I can enjoy, which is going to the cinema. So all publicity is good publicity, you know, in in a roundabout way. I think that's pretty funny. Yeah, like I think that's a... That's a truism that's, you know, now with public shaming being so efficient online that I feel like that's a truism that's now in danger of becoming irrelevant. You know, like, I think, like there are people I would not have heard of but for them, but for learning about them being bad, you know? I think even in the age of public shaming, it's, it's true if you weather the storm. 
It's yeah, like, isn't that funny? I actually kind of think it's like stocks and I don't really understand like buying stocks. I've never mm. bought any. But from what I understand, this movie version where you like buy them and then sell them straight away and make a million dollars isn't the way it works. You're supposed to buy them and then like wait for 20 years and then like maybe things will have improved in some way. But along the way, things go up and down. And yes. I think it's the same... I think it's the same with all publicity is good publicity. Like it might be bad and then it might linger for a while, but then 20 years later, people will remember your movie. Yeah. Okay. So, so prominence of any kind over a long enough time period is good. It's better than just silence in the void. Anonymity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I get it. Yeah. So, so so anyways. That's where so good it's bad kind of comes from. Sorry. Go, go, go. Exactly. Exactly. So because of this, it had an amazing opening week but then they pulled all advertising after that week. But then apparently they were going to do that anyway. And they were like, sick. Okay, well, all of that bad publicity has actually helped us. You know, there were, there were like mums creating coalitions to be like, you know, mums against bad videos on the back of this movie complaining about it, right? Like, you know, it really created a cultural moment of people being like, this is an evil movie. So of course, heaps, of, you know, people were picketing, you know, the opening day of it. So of course, people went to see this film mm. and it had had a really big opening weekend. Then they pulled all the advertising as they probably were going to do anyway. So it was on its way to be a sort of Halloween style hit. And then the Siskel and Ebert review happened. Now at the time, uh, from what I understand, and again, like, you know, something you've spoken about in Spookos before is the fact that history is all made up. Now I imagine at a certain point in the last sort of 50 years or so, we can reliably go, these are proper sources, things are recorded. We can say these things happen. So I don't want to step on the toes of contemporary historians of you know horror and exploitation culture. But from what I understand, at the time, people didn't even review sort of horror and exploitation movies. And if they did, they got bad reviews and it didn't affect sales at all. This was a high culture, low culture thing, was it? Like, I'm a proper reviewer and I won't review silly films like this, plural. Exactly, exactly. It's a time when, you know, reviewers actually, you know, critics made or break things. I'm sure they all wore bow ties. I'm sure that was their thing. They were like, this is what I do. I also have, to, like, I've, I've had this recent thing where I'm like, fuck anyone who, like, makes wearing a bow tie their thing. I'm sorry. It's just, it's a prejudice I have. I've recognized it and I just, I can't. I just, I, I can't abide by it. I don't share that view, but I respect you for having a strong view. <laughs> I love the diplomacy. Um, but, 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 but. So at the time, critics could make or break a film. And also at the time, they generally didn't review films like this. But Siskel and Ebert made a special exception to review this film, giving it the lowest score they possibly could they said it was reprehensible that... In fact, I'm going to get some of these quotes because these yeah, quotes yeah, are fucking amazing. Me. All right. So when we say history is made up, we are not a Holocaust denial podcast. The Holocaust happened. Oh, my the God. The Holocaust oh, happened. Like, I know we're on the internet and truth is gone. Um, like, like, fuck Holocaust deniers. Uh, and that's just been on my mind recently. So let's just get that on the record. That is a hugely good point. And things can get construed when you put them out there. So yeah, mm. I'm glad to stand by that point as well. Mm. Um, okay, so 
And we are a black armband podcast as well. Always was, always will be. So when they screened their review of this film, Siskel said, the showing of Santa with an axe on free TV in commercial is sick and sleazy and mean-spirited. You people have nothing to be proud of. Even if you made a few bucks off all of the negative publicity, your profits truly are blood money. Then, they didn't stop there. Then they said, shame on you. And started reading out the names of all the production crew of the film and were like, this person, shame on you. Blogsy, shame on you. Blogsy, shame on you. Like, just to be like, fuck this movie. And I kind of love the audacity of that. And I also kind of love the fact that at least they saw the film. A lot of the controversy that happened in the 80s around you know, the sort of video nasties, especially in the UK, was based on people who never actually saw the films. They just heard about what was in them. And, you know, we know how, like, talk spreads and things go crazy after, you know, after the fact. The now discredited former Spooko darling 50 Cent would endorse this approach to be like, look, if we can't be friends, let's be enemies. And so Siskel and Ebert are all over it. So after that, they did pull some of the rollout of the film. So it started on the East Coast. This is crazy to me as well. The idea that things don't open simultaneously. So it opened on the East Coast of the States, then it slowly made its way over. Mm. I think the rollout halted and then it sort of just disappeared from public consciousness Mm. until 1986, two years later, when it came out on video. And that's when it became a true cult film because up to that point it had created this like i guess this like air of danger that this is this like evil film that had to be pulled that you know ruins christmas so of course everybody wanted this vhs (laughs) and and it's become a cult film to this day so with all of that in mind Mm. should we do today's spooko christmas movie silent night deadly night from 1984 no no let's just do a different one Sorry, <laughs> that's a joke that kind of doesn't work. But yeah, man, let's do it. Can't wait. Another caveat from me is that I went and watched the Carnage because I, I feel like I've seen this at some point in my horror watching career. Like at some mm. point, they all sort of blur together at a point, especially mm. these 80s films. But I rewatched the Carnage count of this film. Mm. Uh, the number's 13, by the way. Ooh, classic Christmas 13. There's a, there's, a, there's a troubling trope that happened in 80s horror films that I'm glad don't happen anymore, which is like <coughs> topless women getting killed and like topless women lit in a very lurid way, but also getting killed in a very bloody way. And there's just something so fucked up about that. And everybody would go to these films and watch them and just be like, oh, that's gross, but not question it in any way. We've sort of dealt before with like 50 episodes ago with like the sex violence crossover. And I think we came to the view that the sex violence crossover is a thousand percent fine between consenting adults and the moment consent disappears from a sex violence crossover, it becomes like a profoundly horrific thing. And look, of course, sex without consent and without violence is horrific and, and, and violence without consent horrific too. But there's just something monstrously um, against everything that I think in, in, in combining the two that I, that I as a non-horror person find really confronting. And I guess the thing is, it's like, it's not that it's sexual assault per se. It's just these women just happened to be naked when they were killed. And that's when the camera shot them. I guess that's the thing, right? It's it's putting those two things together 
in a way that's not necessarily. But yeah. And it and and it must break out break you out of the narrative to be like, well, okay, why is like why is that happening? And it just flicks you out flicks you out of I'm sitting here gripped by this story into like oh okay great I'm meant to be like around you, you know I'm just being I'm just being formed at catered to the male gaze but in the 80s did anybody question anything they saw I mean and that's a genu- general genuine question I don't can't speak against that like was it just like I am consuming this thing that's how it works you mm. were giving it to me I'm consuming that's the two way relationship Roland Barthes would have a field day with us oh fucking hell Hang on, I just gotta see if there's someone at the door. All right, so there we are. All right, so I'm just gonna caveat that. The other thing I do wanna say is Mm. this is a proper return to the insane plot lines of the 80s. So on the plus side, this is not just a guy dressed as Santa killing people. There's a lot going on. There's poor depictions of mental illness. There's nuns. There's like, there's there's a lot more than you would expect from just seeing the spooky trailer. Okay, so we start with 1971. So five-year-old Billy Chapman and his family go to visit a nursing home in Utah where his catatonic grandfather stays. When Billy remains alone with him for a few minutes, his grandfather suddenly awakens and tells him to truly fear Santa Claus as he gives presents only to the children who have been good all year and punishes the ones who have been naughty, no matter how briefly. Awesome. While driving back, a man dressed in a Santa outfit seemingly has car trouble and gets Billy's family's attention. As they pull over to help, the Santa-glad criminal shoots the father with a pistol. He forcibly removes the mother attempts to rape her and slashes her throat with a switchblade. Billy runs off to hide, leaving his baby brother Ricky in the car. Oh, okay. Three years later in 1974, Billy and Ricky are celebrating Christmas in an orphanage run by Mother Superior, a strict disciplinarian who persistently strikes children who misbehave and considers punishment to be a necessary and good thing. Sister Margaret, the only one who sympathizes with the children, tries to help Billy play with the other children, but Billy is constantly subject to Mother Superior's scrutinizing eyes and regularly punished. On Christmas morning, the orphanage invites a man in Santa Claus suit to visit the children. Billy gets dragged by Mother Superior and he punches the man before fleeing to his room in horror. <laughs> okay, so it's a warning he's taken pretty seriously. He's like, I love that they're like, we can't have an unmotivated slasher, guys. We really need to make sure that like, this person's led a horrific life. But I like that they put the effort in. Mm. Like, I like that there's like... You know, there's a solid build-up before, you know, the killing roller coaster begins. Except for, obviously, the awful killing of the parents at the start. <clears throat> Ten years later, in the spring of 1984, a now-adult Billy leaves the orphanage to find a normal life and obtains a job as a stock boy at a local toy store, thanks to Sister Margaret. Also, remember toy stores? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Remember buying stuff in shops? I don't think I've been to a shop for like... <laughs> Do you remember money? How weird is it having money? It's I, just like, what the hell? I've been refused. Ca- I'm like, hey, I'll just pay in cash. That's all right. They're like, mm, we're not really, not really down <laughs> for cash. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
At the store, he develops a crush on his co-worker Pamela. He has sexual thoughts regarding her, which are often interrupted by morbid visions of his parents' murders. On Christmas Eve, the employee who plays the store Santa Claus has been injured the night before, and as a result, Billy's boss, Mr. Sims, makes him take his place. <laughs> makes him. No, After the- don't make me. Like, no, you got to do it. <laughs> <laughs> After the store closes, the staff has a Christmas Eve party. Billy, still dressed in a Santa Claus suit, tries to have a good time at the party, but he keeps having memories of his parents' murders, causing him to feel depressed. <laughs> like, oh, I'm really bummed out. <laughs> I'm wearing the outfit my parents' murderer was wearing. <laughs> it's just a real bummer, guys. Yeah, it's really, look, I know it's Christmas and like all that stuff, but I just can't really get into it. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, he sees his co-worker Andy making out with Pamela and they both walk into the back room. Billy walks after them and sees Andy trying to rape Pamela. So, Okay, so there is a little bit of rape as a plot device in this film, which is not cool. There's a huge amount of it. Like, It's t- deeply troubling. Deep, and this is almost back to the trope of like, yeah, anyway, we'd like, we don't have to dive into it, but deeply troubling. So, speaking of troubling, mm. back to one of my favourite horror movie tropes, when someone switches and goes from being sane to insane. Okay. <laughs> from being just a bit bummed out to insane. <laughs> he was depressed, but now he's insane. So, this finally psychologically triggers his insanity, says Wikipedia. <laughs> he hangs Andy with a string of Christmas I lights. Laugh, but like, I'm not sure that's how, that's how it works. <laughs> Personally, yeah, like the degree of mental health insensitivity like triggers his insanity. Like we've all got our latent insanity that just hopefully Joker style, we don't have one bad day where it all gets triggered. <laughs> you know what? We've been wrong about this before though. Shout out to Adele back in maybe episode 12 or 13 mm. when I was like, people don't like wake up, you know, before they're dying, be like, please. And she's like, no, no, actually people do hang on to do stuff and then immediately die. So, you know, potentially there is some... I don't know if we have any, like, psych friends listening, but Mm. is there a moment when things just switch in your brain and you go... From sane to insane. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe maybe it exists. Start killing people. (laughs) Anyway, so he hangs Andy with a string of Christmas lights and then stabs Pamela with a utility knife, uttering darkly that punishment is good. Which I'm kind of like, yeah, okay. That's not really the Santa message as well. Like, Santa <laughs> doesn't go around punishing the bad. You just get, you just miss out on a gift. So a highly intoxicated Mr. Sims, who's his boss, remember, mm. goes into the back room to check on the noises he heard. Just yet when he's about to leave, Billy murders him with a hammer. And look, I don't love the image of someone with the sharp end of a hammer sticking out of his head, but that's an image you see in this film. <laughs> nice. Merry Christmas. So Billy turns off the store's lights, causing his manager, Mrs. Randall, to go check out the back room. How many bosses does he have? So sorry, we killed one boss. So Mr. So no, no, no. Remember, so this is the eighties. So there's a man who's in charge, but there's a woman who's like a bit of a managerial. He's like sort a of shrill, wowsery type of yeah. like. Don't have any fun and blah blah blah. <laughs> man, like 
The patriarchy is fucked. We are definitely an ally. I like to think it was an ally podcast. Like, fuck the patriarchy. So Billy turns off the store's lights, causing his manager, Mrs. Randall, to go check out the back room. She screams at the sight of Mrs. Sims' corpse and tries to call police, but Billy cuts the phone line using a double-bit axe, causing her to run and hide. Billy walks around the store trying to find her and it's like a spooky scene where he's like stalking the halls. You know, but it's Santa's and it's dark and it's Christmas so there's this weird sort of like it's scary but it's also festive. And at one point, Mrs. Randall jumps out and trips Billy stealing his axe. Before she can escape, Billy shoots and kills her with a bow and arrow. As Sister Margaret discovers the carnage and returns to the orphanage to seek help via telephone... Billy breaks into a nearby house where a young couple named Denise and Tommy are having sex and a little girl named Cindy is sleeping. Billy then impales Denise on a set of deer... Oh, okay, so this is like... This is like properly fucked up. He lifts her up and impales her on a set of deer antlers. Then there's a lingering shot of her just hanging there, like some sort of gross Christmas ornament. Uh, And then he throws Tommy through a window. When this awakens Cindy, Billy then confronts her and asks her if she's been nice or naughty. She says she has been nice, and he gives her the utility knife as he, that he had used earlier. Bloody hell. After this, <laughs> he wit- it's so, this is worse. After this, he witnesses bullies picking on two sledding teenage boys and decapitates one of the bullies with his axe as the other screams in horror, literally sending the bully down on a sleigh through the snow without a head <laughs> while the other one captures it. And they're like teenagers. It's so fucked up. That's grimly funny. And it's a sharp axe. Like, I mean, Shag, you've used axes and, mm. like, the real force of an axe is not its, like, snicker-snack sharpness. It's that it is heavy and it's really difficult to use accurately. Like, even if you're just chopping wood, which is what I tend to use axes for rather than decapitating teens, um, it's pretty hard to de- neatly decapitate someone with anything, let alone an axe. Christ. And I think, I, I think the bully is going down on the sled when he's decapitated and again like I'm, I'm trying to go back to my physics but if if you're going down that sled and you're hit with the axe the axe is just going to push you back it's not gonna like take your head off and the rest of your body's just going to keep going and it must be the most well-timed axe swing of all time like, <laughs> surely he's like a billy like he's a loss to the world of billiards playing or some you know fine motor skill sport like that because they've done a lot of work building mm. up his pedigree as someone who's insane because of Christmas. And I get that. They've done no work to show that he's an expert killer. It's not like Rambo where he was like a special forces operative. And so, of course, he can stalk the wilderness and kill people. So, Shag, if we were rewriting, we'd have the nun at the orphanage be like, chop that wood more precisely. (laughs) (laughs) You'll get punished. (laughs) So the next morning, the orphanage is secured because Sister Margaret somehow, I can't even remember how, but somehow she knew the carnage is happening. She links it back to Billy, goes back to be like, he's Mm. probably on his way back here. We've got to secure the orphanage. His insanity's been triggered. Yep, classic. With Officer Barnes and Captain Richards, aided by Sister Margaret, who knows that Billy has committed the murders. The deaf pastor... Father O'Brien, who is dressed in a Santa outfit, is mistakenly shot by Barnes upon coming forward, (laughs) mistaking him to be Billy. One of the officers, Barnes, is then axed by Billy while distracted. Due to his Santa outfit, Billy gains access into the orphanage. Again, I'm like, 
they oh maybe they didn't know he was killing in a Santa outfit. But also, there's a moment before he goes into the orphanage where there's a snowman and he takes his axe and he just chops the head off. And then there's no like it just it it just happens. They, but I thought he, Sister he Margaret that. just secured the orphanage. Well, no, she got some cops to come to protect her. But a lot of the cops are like, oh, Santa outfit. Sorry, that can't be <laughs> that can't be the person in the Santa outfit. We're but but to then they shoot the from. deaf priest yeah. for wearing the Santa outfit. <laughs> Say something, deaf priest, if you're not the killer. It's like, oh, I can't, I can't hear. Yeah, okay, it's tragedy. So he comes into the orphanage and he confronts Mother Superior now in a wheelchair. She taunts Billy due to her disbelief in Santa Claus, and just as he prepares to kill her with his axe, Richards appears and shoots him in the back, much to Sister Margaret's shock. As the dying Billy lays on the ground, and there's like a million kids around, by the way, while this is happening. As the dying Billy lays on the ground, he utters to the nearby children, you're safe now, Santa Claus is gone, before succumbing to his wounds. As the children gather around, Ricky coldly staring at Mother Superior utters, naughty, and then the camera flashes to one of the kids in like a way to be like, this kid is going to be the next Santa killer. That's the end of Silent Night, Deadly Night. I'm surprised how much I liked that ending. (laughs) That it turned out Billy was just trying to redeem Christmas the whole time. (laughs) Actually, as a reading, was he trying to make Santa Claus as bad as possible so when he gets killed, everyone's like, yeah, of course Santa Claus sucks. And then that was his purpose in life. I sort of had in mind that he might be thinking of like, all right, now these children think there's a bad Santa Claus out there. I have been killed... And so I represent that bad Santa Claus. And so on one view, Billy's liberated these children who might have a view of a bad Santa Claus by saying, oh, no, no, don't worry about it, guys. I was that. And so I've sacrificed myself in that horror movie trope we've spoken of before of self-sacrifice and has done a, you know, bing bong in Inside Out um, and sacrificed himself for the the greater good, for the maintenance of imagination. Uh, Merry holidays, everybody. Thank you for listening to Spooko uh, in 20... Uh, I mean, we will still have more episodes next week and the week after, but it just feels like a nice moment to say thank you very much for listening. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, it makes us happy. And if there's been a bad podcast presenter out there who needs to get murdered, you guys, you don't <laughs> have our endorsement. Murder's never the way. We're an anti-murder <laughs> podcast as well. Even if the nun who raised you taught you the punishment was good. Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up?